Dogs of Warcry is a podcast from the Mortal Realms focusing on Warcry, a fast-paced cinematic skirmish game by Games Workshop. Join us for discussions on gameplay, rules, lore, painting, terrain building, campaigns, and events. Welcome to Dogs of Warcry. In Season 3, Episode 4, we're going to discuss the evolving story in the A-Points, Age of Sigmar, and how it impacts Warcry. We're going to talk about Wrath of the Everchosen, Broken Realms, Marathi, and how Catacombs integrates into this story. My name is Josh, and answering the call with me this week is Paven. How are you, man? Hey, I'm doing great. Ready to go. Excellent. Very cool. I'm looking forward to having this discussion with you. Well, let's jump right into it. We're going to start off with the Forge of Mithraxis, where we talk about what we've been crafting, painting, building towards uh, ultimate domination of the eight points. Josh, why don't you kick us off? What have you been working on? I've been working on my Canite Shadowstalkers. I've gotten them all assembled, primed, and based. I did a Zenithal kind of priming method where it started with black and then and then primed them white kind of from the front. So I'm going to make it look like they're fading out of the shadows. And got all my Catacombs Dungeon Terrain assembled and primed. And I've been working on my lava, my modular lava board still. Tried out a couple of color schemes that I didn't really like, so I need to kind of go back and kind of prime it all a nice dark orange or red color and, and kind of work my way back up again. So, but I uh, kind of set that project aside for now as I start working on my Shadowstalker color scheme a little bit. How about you, Paven? What have you been working on? I think I've gotten a decent amount done since we talked last time. Uh, so I was just getting started on my Signs of the Flame we got for our review copy. I have finished painting those guys. I haven't finished basing them yet, so I have the satisfaction of progress, but not the sweet, sweet taste of a completed miniature yet, because uh, they do need to be based. I am waiting on some kind of uh, texture basing rollers uh, from a company, but those aren't here yet, so I can't quite execute what I'm hoping to do for their basing. So while I'm waiting, I've assembled a couple more initiates, which are the kind of the lowest uh, on the spiritual journey that the scions of the flames go on they're the guys that don't even get shoes yet but they're the cheap guys that i can quickly add to my warband as they grow so i've assembled two of two more of those guys from the second set and i did little tiny bit of kit bashing on one and then more uh, significant changes on the on the second uh, just to get more variety they look a little bit too similar for my liking so i really want to put some conversion work into this next group I also started, uh, like Josh, I started on my catacombs terrain. I put it all together so I could play with it. I primed it. I did, uh, I have a test piece. I'm working on the the sewer entrance, the circular sewer entrance. That's going to be my test test one. I'm really looking for like a purple brick because I want the brick to be the same as the basing scheme for the scion. So it has to contrast well. And I think purple will contrast and tie yeah. in with the scheme overall. We'll see. It's still in the testing phase. Next up, what do I got to do? I got to finish basing everything like I talked about. I got to finish my Ogroid, which I started a while back, but it's been like hovering around like 40% done for a while. Um, he wants to join the Warband at some point, but he's like 300 points, so it's going to be a minute. Then I got to do the underground terrain, and then I got to do the overground terrain, and then I'm allowed to purchase something else. So 
quite a quite a long road in front of me. GW's coming out with a lot of new cool stuff, a lot of cool new rules, making me very motivated to get what I currently have painted done. Yeah, no, you've oh. got a great progress. Color scheme on those guys looks really nice. I feel so where I ended up was a a lot of kind of earth tones like grays and blacks and tans and browns kind of for a lot of the, the pieces on them. A lot of, they, they have a lot of skin on them as well. And then I have like kind of the, the contrast to the interest comes from the, the leather armor is like a white color with the white contrast over it to give it some interest. And then it has like bronze and silver bits and then purple cloaks. Whenever they have the, the scale cloak, that's a purple and then the bright orange flame is really what kind of, I think, saves the whole scheme from the gutter. Because it wasn't looking good until I started painting fire. Um, and I think that gives it like nice, gives it like the hot variation, gives it some focal points to focus on. I think the sculpts are very good that the fires put in places where it draws the eye into uh, like, you know, not into the, uh, I don't know, on the foot or the butt. Like they're on the weapons, they're on the head, they're making cool shapes. I don't know. I don't know anything about anything, but uh, uh, I'm like, uh, I'm happy enough with them. I really need the, the basing to figure out whether I, I've nailed it or not. And, mm-hmm. you know, if I didn't, eh, it's fine. You can always yeah. iterate. Well, I think the purple scales on the on the cloaks turned out really nicely. So I, I think the bases are going to be a great fit. Man, I hope so. I have to quit the podcast. <laughs> Throw my models down. Oh, man. Oh, Speaking of that, yeah. Speaking of our progress on the warbands, we finally have some more Path to Glory we can do. So I will kick this section off with a couple of starter games I had with Vint, our Warhammer store manager, and then we'll move into the games that Paven and I play. So uh, I managed to get my Canine Shadowstalkers assembled in time to get a practice game in with Vint. He played a, a Dwarden Hammerhall warband uh, for a friend of his that he kind of put the models together. And uh, it was a really fun game. Uh, they were slow, but extremely tough. You know, and he pounded out most of my warband. I managed to pull off a win because I think I had a treasure at the end. Super tough warband. And um, I uh, learned how fragile my poor elves are. A lot of great fun on that one. Uh, our second game, we, we both chose as a campaign game. And he chose to play his Spire Tyrants. And I hadn't played against them before. And those, those gladiators got a lot of tricks up their sleeves. It was the first game where we had the twist of traps, and Pave and I had that one later. And the traps are vicious. Anytime you move or end a movement, uh, a disengage or a movement action, or you roll a die, and on a one, you get d6 damage. And in that game, we had some extremely funny moments where both our warbands took more damage from traps than we did from each other. I had to run off the board, and I had a model almost escape, but she stepped on a trap and killed herself before she could escape. And it, it, a lot of memorable moments. And I, I think the first model death to lava is that she crossed a wooden bridge and fell down. So had a really good time. So I was looking forward to the games that Paven and I played a couple of weeks ago. I think, Paven, you want to jump in? Sure. Uh, yeah, I want to talk about these one at a time because they're both great games. They're our first Catacombs games. Well, yeah, they're one of Josh's first. They were literally my first. Um, we got to play that. We played them outside in like probably the last nice day in Wisconsin. Um, so it's a, it a beautiful day to you know play murder murder in the dungeon and the first game i just want to the, the most we'll talk more about it in a second and it was an objective-based game but the the thing that dominated my experience with it 
was something Josh mentioned from one of his games was we rolled the trap twist or the hidden traps twist where, you know, you roll that dice for every move. And but Catacombs dungeon based Warcry games already have lots of danger. And so there was this corner of the board where I started where there was the casket, which is roll a dice and on a one uh, you take damage if you're near it. And then you had the hidden traps and then there's a little bridge and then the objective. And then so we could jump over the bridge and then you're rolling a dice and on a four up you take one damage and on a six you take three. Or you could end your movement on the bridge, but if you do that you roll a different dice and then on a one the bridge collapses and you die outright. So like, <laughs> it was really just like my guy's just running the gauntlet like, you know, the the the, the dart traps are shooting out, spikes are gra- coming out of the ground, like ghosts are trying to grab their ankles and they're like jumping over a fiery pit and just to try to get to this objective. So it was very hectic and like I really felt the danger that we were in uh, deep in this dungeon. And the, uh, sometimes uh, I just didn't move my guys. I was just like, ah, they're good. <laughs> right, <laughs> they're right. Good. They're just going to sit in this corner and maybe the danger will pass. Yeah, uh, yeah. But what, what were, tell, tell me more about this game we played. Yeah, so it, it was, again, the, uh, the objective-based game was, was absolutely hilarious. You know, we had a lot of carnage, and, and only Pavins had any models standing at the end. But, uh, but it was it was a lot of fun. I, I think, I think I, you had one guy left. I think you had one guy left. Oh, wait, wait, no, you're right. I had one Doomfire Warlock, Darkfire Warlock left. Yeah. I did end up with one model who died, and uh, and another one injured. But uh, but overall, it wasn't too bad. Yeah, the game was was really fun. There were, we we both had to move quite a bit, so we risked the traps quite often. Uh, but <laughs> we managed yeah. to get around pretty quickly. Yeah, I had the advantage of uh, having two objectives in my territory, so I, I was had the luxury of moving less, which was great. And I also had another thing going for me is I think I rolled really well that game. So yeah. my guys came out swinging with the with the hot crits and the hot, well, just they're generally hot. So yeah, they every like everybody performed like how I want. How, how, you know, sometimes your your miniatures like you imagine them behaving some way and then they just like you know uh, poop the bed. Uh, yep. But in this game, they did what I expected them to do. Like you know, my immolator was just like punching things with his flaming fists, and my boss was a. Uh, just hossing down multiple models. And uh, even my priest, I think, like killed somebody with her staff and then lit somebody on fire until they were dead. Oh, yeah. Uh, using yep. the <laughs> spot, which was like, I was like, oh, cool. It works. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> it sure so, did. Uh, yeah. Yeah. yeah I, that, I think that quad is better than I was originally suspected because I need just being able to project, like, pretty much kill any medium sized model from six inches away. Yeah. Um, so really, you can double move and then get rid of a model, which is a really great threat range. Yeah, unless you roll uh, super poorly for some reason. But on a two up, yeah, you got pretty good odds. I think the expected so. value is pretty good because you just got to yeah. roll two ups on all those dice and then you're doing yeah. damage. I agree. Um, yeah, so that was the first game. I came out with it. Yeah, let's talk about the second game. Yeah, the second game, I, you know, I think was uh, the most fun for me just because we had a unique circumstance for our, you know, we had five treasures on the board and we kind of alternated setting them up and I, I was able to start more centrally located and pavement was on the further ends. And it, I think it was most fun because uh, we had the twist where you uh, had reinforcements that could show up early. And in this particular case, I managed to place the sewer entrance near one of pavement's deployment zones and uh, got the first turn and I was able to move my model from there one that showed up due to the twist 
grab the treasure and jump over the lava to the main central platform. So instantly, at the end of turn one, I had four of the five treasures. Uh, it yeah, didn't last you, that long. But you got you got nailed in the back by your your emulator, but or your no your yeah. fire priest. Yeah, but so. you were like, yeah, you had collected all. Like at the end of turn one, it looked so bad for me. Like you had all the treasures in the middle, and all my guys were like through like multiple doors and bridges away from this the middle the middle part of the map. Yeah, and so like I spent the first turn not picking up treasure and just like trucking like pulling someone guy pulls the leather the other guy goes through the door punches through the next door and then the third guy can actually like you know move his not very great eight inches to <laughs> to like get closer yeah. um but I, I think one of the things i noticed is that like having the full five turns i can rely on like i can waste an entire turn just walking and opening doors yeah uh, but so that happened and then i guess the other super memorable thing or there was a few a couple but there was this bridge bottleneck that I kept sending guys to that you kept knocking them into the lava. I lost yeah. three or four guys like in the same bridge bottleneck. Like first a guy like ran on it and like you knocked him off the bridge into the lava with a crit. And yeah. then my boss got all the way over it. And I'm like, like at the right at the end of the turn. So I just, I, I ran him over and I'm like, okay, he just, need, I just need to activate them. I activate him. Like he's going to kill whatever he gets to. Cause he's a, a real beast. And then I can get him away from the edge. If he has enough wounds, he should be able to be okay. Um, but no, you knocked, <laughs> you took the first activation, you, you punt, you like whipped them off. He slipped on some rocks, you know, goes to worship the flame down there. And then like the last guy was just following everybody. He, and, and I think she was just running across the bridge and the bridge just collapsed. And yeah. so she yeah. goes down too. It's like the same, like, oh my God, all these, uh, like my whole, my whole squad just fell into the lava. <laughs> I know. And it was crazy. And, you know, that's why it was so memorable. But yeah, that reinforcements on turn three, being able to come on from anywhere and having your brazen champion show up on the center platform and go, aha, here I am. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Tur- totally changed the game. You just plowed. Yeah, into that was that was when I could out my way back because, um, <laughs> yeah, you like spent your like activations like knocking my boss in the lava. But I did. I had banked the a rampage. So like my brazen champion was able to be close enough to like start rampaging into your your guys. And your guys are pretty soft. And yep. he's pretty, he does a lot of damage. And you put the, the weapon stash right in the middle of your, of your territory, which turned out to be a bad idea. Can you talk yep. about that? Yeah, yeah, definitely. So the weapon stash gives any model within one inch of it plus one attack if they have an attack of three inches or less. And it turned out to be a bad idea for me because the models I had around it all had ranges of four or more typically. And so none of them could take advantage of it. And so Paven charged in there with his fire priest and his brazen champion, and they were just wreaking havoc on my poor models. Yeah, the I way I like to fast think, enough. Yeah. yeah, the way I like to think about it is like you know your your sophisticated elves like oh they see a hammer and they're like oh gross like I'm not picking up some like human made hammer, uh, <laughs> but my guys are you know a bunch of the Philistines and they're just like you know throw it like you know just throwing knives and swords and giant axes and huge mauls and. You know, using it to just clobber your guys. Oh yeah. Um, so I was able, I was able to pull out that game as well, uh, despite half my warband, uh, <laughs> you know, taking a, a detour to meet the, the what is it, the raging flame, the, the yes, inferno, yeah, the raging, the great inferno in the sky, uh, and by the sky we mean the, the deep into the ground. 
They all recovered, though. None of them got injured in the role, so... That's it true. must have been yeah, successful. Yeah. Uh, well, my initiates get injured. Yeah, I, one of us, Sifmanos, is you know minus one toughness and minus one ability right now. But right. Uh, her job is mostly to like pull levers and like sit on treasure. Um, <laughs> but all my yeah, my other guys, uh, Raxos, my brazen champion, who we've been talking about, is actually two destiny, two destiny for two games. Uh, this mm. guy's going places. Yeah, no, definitely. He, he's potent. That minimum, you know, he's got the three six damage profile. Oh. Very yeah. effective. <laughs> yeah, especially against uh, guys that have eight health. Yep, yeah, definitely. Yeah, so I definitely have to plan a little bit more for the long game since we got five turns to work through. So that's yeah. definitely been learning experiences for me. <laughs> so. Yeah, it's a li- there's more attrition in this one than try to just ground. try to win early. I think yeah. in like above ground Warcraft. Yeah, I yeah. agree. Anything else you want to talk about with these games? No, I think the, uh, again, I think the catacombs on this particular board is really interesting. Definitely changes the tactics and how you play certain warbands. You know, I could, on an above ground game, the Canite Shadowstalkers would play very differently with the movement and ability to, to fly with a double. You know, I, I would be able to escape more readily. But in closer quarters in the catacombs, especially with the reinforcements coming in at 12 different potential entrances, Definitely a different dynamic, and I enjoy that the challenge this been. Yeah. All right, well, let's jump into our next section here, and this is the visions of madness. This is where we pray to the dark gods, and they grant us through their insane whispers previews at the next GW product releases. Uh, there's nothing really for Warcry, is there? I don't know. We got the books coming. We don't have any more information about the books. The gods are silent at the moment. <laughs> um, cool stuff with Broken Realms Marathi narratively, and I think we're going to jump into that big time in our in in our victory condition. Yes. Um, is there anything you wanted to add here, Josh? Well, I think the only thing I'd add is that this Broken Realms Marathi is the first in what's supposed to be a five or six book series, somewhat related to like Psychic Awakening for 40k. So they're going to be transitioning out of Soul Wars and into the Broken Realms. And I think there's going to be a lot of interesting opportunities for new warbands and lore, which you know we'll talk a little bit more about in our victory condition. All right. Can't wait. Great. Okay, now we're going to get into our Circle of Paint Challenge. This season, we are having dueling warbands. So both Paven and I are going to be putting together our new warbands, the Canine Shadowstalkers and the Science of Flame. And we're going to start with Paven here to see what his progress is and talk about the background, etc. Yeah, so this is our like tale of two warbands that we that we're doing on the show. Uh, please play along with us. I'm gonna try not to talk too much about my paint schemes. <laughs> I talked about that already, but I'll talk about like kind of where my guys are, a little bit more about their narrative, and kind of where I I see them going in the future. So, so just to recap, I'm doing signs of the flame. I got those guys painted, but not based. I feel good about their paint scheme, and now I got to get. So my, uh, what, I, what I'm currently thinking about is like what I'm going to do for the next group. Um, so I have the first eight comes in the set. I got the second. I got a copy of the second eight uh, for my personal set. Um, and I really want to kitbash these more. I want to like do put my own put my own spin on them. Do some more variation from the because um, I already have like copies of all these miniatures in all these poses. And you can do some weapon swaps, which are nice. But I, I like to have a little bit more, especially like head swaps. I don't want people to have the exact same head. So for one one initiative that uh, or initiate that I that I've built, 
to add to the war band, I, I shaved off all of his hair with a, a file and an exacto. And I think that gives him like a different, a little bit of a different silhouette. And I like kind of changed his weapons up. Um, so I'm hoping to do it the rest of those guys. I want to, I'm really thinking about uh, adding the Slaves to Darkness start collecting box to this larger effort because I really want to swap some bits with the Chaos Warriors. Um, one, because I love those models. I love that old northern warrior aesthetic uh, aesthetic from the world that was like that is that is that is like the coolest part about chaos like kind of that undivided you know uh, brutal warrior like the most dangerous thing in the realms um i really like that although they're the chaos warriors are certainly not the most dangerous things in the realms anymore because the mortal realms are way more dangerous so everything's at an 11 now but i still <laughs> like the aesthetic it's still very cool i want to use them for head swaps i want to take fire bits add them to the the chaos warriors i want to take the chaos warrior bits add them to the fire bits and then like that would help me move to the next uh immediate group uh however that is in, you know purchasing a lot more plastic uh that i'm and i'm already de- way deep in the hole so i don't know what i'm gonna do talking a little bit about the narrative of my guide that is emerging slowly um i don't have like uh, like a really hard story i'm telling yet i want to have that emerge more organically or maybe i'm just being lazy <laughs> um but uh, i think last last episode i talked about i think i was maybe they were from a cold place and they worshiped the fire i'm kind of moving away from the cold basing scheme so they're no longer from a cold place i think they're from they're they live in a dungeon i don't know what they're doing but one idea i do like that i am going to stick with is they are part or are going to join later, but they're part of a larger fallen slaves to darkness ecosystem that are all centered around the worship of chaos in its most pure form as a flame. And so my scions are, you know, very spiritual and religious kind of chaos worshipers, um, but they don't, they don't have a very nuanced or sophisticated understanding of the detail workings of chaos. However, when you move up the kind of totem pole toward the chaos lords, the chaos sorcerers who would live in this army but wouldn't necessarily be part of a war band, they have a more sophisticated view. They know about Zeech. They know about Nurgle. They all interpret it as part of a greater chaos kind of flame uh, theology. And so, like, Zinch represents kind of the changing nature of the flame and flame as, like, an, an agent of mythical transmutational properties and that's what zinch represents a part of the flame not the flame being like a uh, part of zinch and and uh corn is the the anger the fiery intensity of the flame and that is kind of how they how they think about it kind of a undivided lens through which to view kind of the different uh, myriad forces of chaos cool I so like yeah yeah it's, it's just an idea right now I, you know because i have these signs of the flame and then i have like one chaos sorcerer and one Varengard we painted for our first Circle of Paint challenge. Right. Uh, both of which are kind of in the scheme, but the scheme is diverged a little bit from them, so they might get repainted later when they get added to this warband or added to this army. Uh, certainly the Chaos Sorcerer can be allied uh, allied in. I'm looking yep. at to ally him in, but I think I do want to like add some fiery elements because um, the, the kind of the basic model doesn't have any obvious ties to fire. And I think fire is the theme that's going to go across the slaves list. Other than that, I do have the Ogroid that I want to add as another mercenary to add. I think his fire elements are going to be, his tattoos are going to be fiery, and they're going to be like kind of an inner, inner flame kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, so that way I don't have to kitbash anything or sculpt anything. 
And that, but that's it. That's where they're sitting at. Oh, uh, let me talk a little bit about the specific narrative for this war band. I'll, I'll, I'll read off a couple names that I think are important. Um, so I did name generate all my guys. I don't think I'm going to give you all of them. I'm going to give you like the, the guys I like the most. So my leader is Krastos Tyrannos. Uh, so you hear about him. His second in command, uh, but MVP, uh, first in our hearts is a Raxos <laughs> Corvax. Two destiny, two games. Just, you know, winning the game single-handedly. He, he's very he's cool. Going, he's going after your leader. You better watch out. Yeah, I, I, you know, I wish there were rules for, like, replacing <laughs> leaders. Like, I would love yeah. that to like figure out a way to make that narrative. Maybe I'll, like, can, can bash something up. Helax is my immolator. I really like my immolator. He does good work. He always dies. But I think, like, the guy on fire should always get taken out after every right. game. Because he just, he does, you know, he doesn't carry on fire. <laughs> Yeah. Um, and then, uh, you know, I won't, I won't read you the rest of them. If they distinguish themselves, I'll, I'll mention them in, in, in later podcasts. And I think, oh, what quest am I on? Let me go find it. A peek behind the curtain, listeners, is that we forgot to record this part of the episode <laughs> the first time we did it. So we're doing it for a second time. But it's great because I get a second chance to read this paragraph of what, uh, in the first time I did it, I don't think I did a great job. So. Here we go. Second take. Still looking for it. I should have bookmarked it the first time, but I didn't know we didn't record at that point. Right. So (laughs) my guys, they're they're on a quest for the Immolation Engine, which is coming out of the Catacombs book. um, And it's a dungeon campaign. And here's the narrative. Deep in the bowels of Barenthrax's maw, the deranged warsmith Palavax Iron Eyes fashioning a flame-spewing machine of destruction, intent on using it upon his uh, using it to immolate his rivals and secure dominion over the Bloodwind spoil. This weapon would surely prove invaluable to the worshippers of the ever-raging flame who seek to engulf the lands in a cleansing inferno. The the worshippers are, are me and my guys. Yet first, they must seize the engine from Iron Eye, which will prove no small task. Many are the warriors that the Warswift has swayed to his cause with promises of plunder and glory. So what are we doing? We're gonna we're gonna go get this 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 thing. I don't know what it is. This this, this engine, this some kind of technology deep within this dungeon. Uh, we're gonna beat up all its bodyguards and take it, and then I guess just let it run run wild. Of course, um, it's gonna be cool. <laughs> I really like campaigns that are have like specific like people in it and names, and so I like this Iron Eye character. I, I want to see what he does. Ready for my first conversions. We played our first two games. Ready for my first dungeon conversions. Whenever we can get our games in. Mm-hmm. I'm really Definitely. excited. So yeah. that's that's my... Is this Path of Glory? No, that's my tale of two. That's my warband. That's the tale of my warband so far. Exactly. Their glory is growing. All right. And now we'll touch on our canine shadow stalkers. Called them the Shadowborn. And my leader's name is Caleb Void Sworn. And um, this particular warband, uh, you know, in terms of color schemes, I didn't mention it before, but I'm thinking of a uh, you know, very pale skin in terms of the cloaks and things like that. I'll have them fade to black, but I might go with a crimson, very dark red, and then use some uh, accent colors for the flames and the icons, probably in a turquoise blue sort of colors. So, but I need to pick up a tape. Uh, uh, a uh, test model and, and put it together and see how it all looks. So got to start that soon so I can get moving on the rest of the warband. But um, this particular warband, I'll, I'll kind of go into the background a little bit and then I'll touch on the quest because they're interrelated. Decided to choose the Marathi's ire origin. And, you know, this is the case where 
Marathi will give the shadow mark to favored um, minions as well as people that she wants to get rid of. So this particular case, my leader and perhaps other members of her warband kind of caught on to Marathi's deception of Cain and started to figure out that she was not necessarily actually um, allowing Cain to be worshipped and was seeking power for herself. And of course, Marathi is as deceptive as she is, found out, and marked them all to send them to their deaths in the eight points. But the joke is on her, because we are going to find the pit of darkness. And I'll read this battle scenario, the narrative for this quest, and then I'll touch on why it's relevant. As darkness stretches across the eight points, you lead a cadre of Shadowstalkers into the Everchosen's domain, sliding unnoticed past oblivious sentries. Your task here is one that could only be accomplished by those with shadow stuff in their blood. The High Oracle Cain desires a link to the strands of the Umbral Web to this cursed land by securing the Well of Shadows, a font of untapped dark magic that lies in the depths of Varenthax's maw. The Most Holy Oracle has tasked you with securing this prize before any others can lay claim to it. And Caleth Voidsworn and her warband want to find this Well of Shadows so that they can barter with the shadow demons there, the power that lies there, and trade their souls from Marathi to the realm of shadow. And thus, seek revenge. That is their ultimate goal, to get back at her somehow. Yeah, but, you know, we'll have to find out if that ever happens. <laughs> but, you know, first of all, they got to find a new master. And that's what their quest is all about. So I'm looking forward to um, getting them painted up so they look more shadowy. And, and um, they've got a, a good mix of models in the warband, a couple of champs and a couple of the, the Dark Flame Warlocks to add range as well as some supporting powers. And then four minions, the Shadow Blades, to, to kind of help poke things and, and grab objectives and treasures and, and take off at them as well. So, yeah, I think I've got a pretty good mix so far. And after I dominate my second territory, I should have enough to add another Dark Flame Warlock. And hopefully I'll start taking advantage of some of their abilities a little better to keep my guys alive a bit longer. Very cool. Any mercenaries or monsters you're thinking about uh, adding to this force? Um, it's a great question because this is a, the first order faction. Oh, no, I played Cahadrans, but I didn't have any allies or monsters in that list. So I have not thought I had uh, any allies. But with the Battle Tome books coming out eventually, I think the options will increase quite a bit. I'm looking forward to that. Uh, in the meantime, I'll probably just add some additional models and expand it. And uh, like you, I'll have to start looking at... Um, converting some other models to to change up the elements a little bit i did that a bit with one of the um the champions the slaughter shades with the whip they kind of swapped their ponytail angles and and kind of changed the the, the foot pose a little bit to make them look a little different but yeah i definitely have to look at conversion opportunities for that cool let's take a break season three is here and we're excited to bring you more dogs of Warcry. We'll be discussing new warbands, the Starter Box Catacombs, our ongoing games and narrative play, and keeping you up to date on our Circle of Paint challenge. Thank you for the encouragement, and we hope you enjoy this episode of Dogs of Warcry. Please share your ideas and feedback with us as we travel the eight points together. All right, welcome back. In our victory condition this episode, we're going to talk about the events occurring in the eight points over the course of this year. And how the wrath of the other chosen 
Broken Realms, Marathi, and Catacombs all fit into the story that's evolving here. Now, I will state there are some spoilers, especially for Wrath of the Everchosen and uh, Broken Realms, Marathi. So when we get to those particular sections, if you don't want to learn about certain things that are ongoing, please skip those sections because we do have some minor spoilers throughout the rest of this podcast. With that, uh, Paven, you want to kick off the discussion of Wrath of the Everchosen? Sure. And right off of the other chosen is an Age of Sigmar book. Um, it's kind of our first campaign book of Soul Wars and a precursor, I think, to the format of the Broken Realms, which are currently the ongoing uh, story. Uh, great book. It is overall, it is the story of Catacroses, the Mortark of the Necropolis. So he is a character that is aligned with death and Nagash. Uh, kind of the foremost general of the armies of death and their invasion of the chaos stronghold in the eight points. And so the eight points is the setting for war cry. Um, well, just a small slice of the eight points is the setting for war cry, but this is a kind of larger macro level, the movement of gods and heroes and armies within the moral realms. So wrath of the edge of code chosen follows this campaign. Is Excellent. that a, uh, is that a good is that a good summation? I agree. Yeah, yeah. And um, just for the listeners out there, the Mortal Realms story phase did do a review of Wrath of the Ever Chosen, where you can get a lot more detail and hear about our thoughts on that particular uh, campaign book and the lore behind it. Were, but, you, were uh, you on that episode? I was. Yes. Yes. Cool. Was I on that episode? Think I don't think so. so. I don't, but think I don't so. remember. I don't think so. How could I not know? <laughs> <laughs> well, it listeners, a, uh, listeners, take January. a listen and write in gmail.com. Let me know if Haven was on that episode. So the we'll, we'll uh, piece together my life. Right, right. Twenty twenty's been a long year. <laughs> <laughs> true, true. So, um, so we first we introduced Wrath of the Ever Chosen because it it's the first, I guess, uh, shift of the Age of Sigmar story into the eight points in. Uh, since Warcry was initiated. Yeah. And in this particular campaign book, as Pavin mentioned, Catacros and the Ossiarch Bone Reapers, with the help of Lady Olinder and the Nighthaunt, invade the Eight Points through the End Gate, the, the Shaish Realm Gate that connects to the Eight Points. You don't want to give away too many spoilers, but... Are you, well, this came out a year ago. I think we can do as many spoilers as we want. It was um, January. And, know, we, so and we warned everybody. We warned everybody. Okay, hey, okay. everybody right, that's okay. still cool that's listening to the podcast, we're in the, the spoiler pull club. That's true. Um, I, but before before we get into there, I wanted to talk about a little bit of like why this is important. So like the stage of the eight points is that they have been dominated by chaos for Hundreds, maybe thousands of years, ever since Sigmar got bamboozled and threw his hammer into a portal, uh, Archeon has owned kind of the most important piece of real estate in all of the mortal realms, which is the central hub that connects to all other realms, like the most strategically valuable position. And so Chaos has dominated here for a very, very long time and corrupted it. And that's why Warcry is so horrible and all the people are mean in it is that this is just as a land that has just been dominated by the forces of darkness for so long. And death coming in there doesn't make it any better. It's just like a different horrible force, but it is interesting. So it goes from like kind of just being a dog-eat-dog kind of place where it's like a war of all against all to a 
active war front uh, between the forces of death who are, you know, kind of lockstep in just, you know, pushing ever forward and very disciplined versus kind of the ravening hordes of, of Chaos and Archeon. Um, so that, that's the stage of, of, of the book. And also like the current setting of the eight points, like the, the current setting of the eight points is this battle, this, this ongoing war between, you know, Catacros and Archeon. Yeah, you know, they're pitting, you know, great tactical minds against each other. Mm-hmm. Catacros is wanting to challenge himself, and Nagash wants a little bit of revenge against Archeon for the pain and humiliation that he's inflicted upon him in the past. Yeah, Archeon and, literally killed Nagash. Well, killed, it threw him down, just like destroyed this god of the realms. Yeah, during the Age of Chaos. He just right. came in there and whooped his butt. Yeah, sacked Naga Naga the Sheer a few times, I think. But yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So, you know, so Catacros comes rushing in here and he pushes deep into chaos and forces a confrontation with Archeon. He is slain, but Catacros has many bodies. And so his essence is returned. And during this whole process, you know, his whole focus on pushing forward and drawing attention, his Ossiarch Bone Reapers collected immense quantities of bone and form a gigantic stronghold called the Arx Terminus surrounding the Shaishan Realm Gate. So death has a permanent foothold in the eight points at the end of this book. Yes. And it's, um, yeah, they get they make it all the way to the Varen Spire. Um, pretty close, kind of fighting yeah. The, the forces of chaos. When Archeon was doing other stuff, he's usually not home in... In the eight points, he's usually doing important stuff. I think at this moment he was trying to free Slanesh from his bonds, but had to, you know, run home because the house was on fire. Exactly. Uh, so you know, Daddy comes home and he just, you know, wrecks house and he, you know, he comes flying through tons of demons, tons of Erengard, kind of smashes Catacross's armies, kills Catacross in single combat. Um, but this was all part of the plan. Catacross was wanted to measure Archaon, see how he would act. This is. Why they have like he has so many bodies made, so he can you know they can you know death doesn't is on no time frame, so they can just wait, wait it out and grind it out. This is going on in the eight points like while all of our warbands are fighting. I guess if you want your narrative to contain it, it does take place kind of further away from the locations we know about. Like the Games Workshop narrative really focuses on the slice of the eight points that is between the realm of metal and the realm of beast called the, the, the Bloodwind Spoil Slice. And so I don't we don't know where the arc terminus is in relation to that uh, kind of octagon. It must be right. an octagon, right? Eight sides. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the octagon kind of shape of the the eight points. So we don't it could be on the other side, could be right next. I don't know. Yeah. But yeah. So but it is it is, it is certainly a place where you could play games and like, you know, uh, something that if you have the Ossiarch Bone Reaper or other death aligned factions, um, they could be part of this larger invading force, and maybe they're scouting, maybe they're searching out magical artifacts, maybe they're, you know, doing some sort of guerrilla warfare against like chaos strongholds or warbands. So certainly, like, could be could be part of your games. Yeah, I think one yeah. of the, the the fun things that uh, this particular campaign book added is they added a uh, realm of battle uh, eight points. You know, so there are different things that you can only get uniquely in Age of Sigmar while you're fighting in the eight points. And while they're not directly related to things you can do in Warcry, some of them are uh, like you can use this flesh warping spell, you know, so 
but I think you could draw inspiration from those and perhaps use them to tailor your games a little bit. Uh, there are also they added wandering monsters and spells in the eight points, which I think would be a really fun challenge battles to add some of these wandering spells. You know, the, the, uh, is a is a monster that you've got to try to tame. They introduced siege play, which I think is a great opportunity for Warcry War bands to have a force that's either sallying out or trying to escape to deliver messages or gather artifacts to come back and save the castle. And it also adds a lot of allegiance abilities and unique factions to the Chaos faction. And I think any of those, they're all really interesting. And you could draw inspiration in former Warcry Warband based on those particular factions and say, oh, we're, we're from this faction and we're fighting in the A points for these reasons. So I think, you know, the, the reason we bring it up is because the story is evolving and that now there's this intrusion of death in the eight points. But it also adds some unique narrative elements to stories or campaigns, quests that you can use to create a unique warband or flavor the warband to, to be from one of those factions or perhaps fighting in a, in a battle where you can, like Pavin said, maybe you're doing a siege battle and one of your warbands is on the wall defending that particular section. Or maybe they're searching for artifacts or sabotaging the enemy's, you know, baggage train. So there's a lot of unique elements that you can take from this campaign book and tailor it for the Warcry Warbands. Did you have any additional thoughts on what, what we could take away from that? No, you you hit on uh, everything I thought of and more. Yeah, it's it's great. Like just like in the last I don't know 14 months, year and a half, like we went from knowing very little about the eight points to having this being like a more and more fleshed out uh, geography and setting for the action for the the greater Age of Sigmar universe. But you know, specifically, this is where like the Warcry action is taking place. So I think that's very cool. Yeah, I agree. And it's such a, since it's so infused with chaos, there's so many wild and crazy things that you can do with it too. Mm -hmm. Definitely. So I think next in our, you know, the narrative story path is probably catacombs. And um, as you all know, if you're Dogs of Warcry listeners, we we covered catacombs in a bit of the lore in the last episode, season three, episode three. But it it takes place in Varenthax's Maw, which is this huge dragon or you know that this dead dragon has his body slain across this mountain and catacombs are all beneath this mountain with riddled within this mountain and apparently there are thousands of civilizations which have been down here there's treasure there's varanites and there's a dreadhold sitting on the surface as well as some other uh, forges and things like that that are being operated by uh, archaeon and the, and the forces of chaos so catacombs takes place within this area, in and below and all around, in terms of uh, it, there's no discussion in the Catacombs book on how this affects the eight points itself, or the or the Chaos Warbands there, but it does tie in quite a bit with Broken Realms Marathi. And, and yeah. one one particular lead-in is the Canite Shadowstalker quests, one of them, is to find Varanite within the Catacombs. And uh, Varanite is termed Cain's blood by Marathi. Is a she she wants to have a lot of it for a religious ceremony of sorts, which we'll cover a little bit more. Okay. So, as in Broken Realms, Marathi is paid. Wait, 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 wait. Can I uh, can I add a couple of things on the catacombs? Yes, yes. Before we jump into Broken Realms, Marathi. Uh, yeah. So a couple uh, threads that get picked up uh, pretty quickly in Marathi that are that are left in Catacombs book. So Josh, you did mention the Canine Shadowstalkers. 
what they're doing there. They're getting Kane's blood, which is a great bit of branding by Marathi. Uh, that stuff is horrible and it sucks. And the other is the Varanite itself, in that they do mention, uh, although briefly and without the same kind of importance it takes on later, is like Varanthrax's maw is known for having an uh, extra bit of Varanite. Uh, so more than is normal. So like mm-hmm. that is like there's lots of reasons to go to Varanthrax's maw. There's a lot of treasure. There's a lot of ruined civilization. There's a lot of things to fight over. But one of those things is the Varanite that is in uh, at least some supply within those catacombs. Yeah, let's talk about so like Varanthrax's maw exists. <laughs> that's, that's the <laughs> setting. Uh, what what happens in Marathi? Um, how do, how is that? Uh, so in Broken Realms Marathi, again, we'll, we'll kind of cover some details, but we're going to be going into greater detail in the Mortal Realms story phase. So please listen for that if you'd like some additional detail on our thoughts on there. But in the Broken Realms Marathi, it's all about Marathi seeking godhood. And she does that by gathering large quantities of Varanite and then using that to transform herself. There's a lot of other unique elements that take place in the book, but in terms of how it impacts the eight points, they do introduce a realm of battle for Varanox's Maw, because she has to convince Sigmar to join forces with her to invade the eight points, and she does that because Archeon and one of the... Um, the Gaunt Summoners? Yes, thank you. The Gaunt Summoner, yeah. um, who is overlooking the extraction of Varanite at Varanathax's Maw, uh, they have these huge boar worms that are just d- drilling, digging down and slurping the varanite up through their bodies to be processed on the surface. Yeah. And and uh, so Marathi wants some of this, and they're using this varanite to bathe the realm gate into Azir and corrupt its magic, the hope that yeah. it'll destroy it and open it up. So Sigmar is willing to help Marathi invade the eight points and try to stop this from happening. Yeah, uh, so this this brings up another kind of uh, battle line, although this isn't actually active within the, the eight points, but it's also like, you know, we had Chaos versus Death we talked about. There's also the current war between Chaos and Order, and Archeon really wanting to get into Azir. And so, like, that is... I, I don't... I, what is that? Do you know what that gate is called? The gate to Azir from the eight points? Um... I do not off the top of my head. I would have to look it up. I'd have to look it up. Uh, Let's not worry too much about it. But so like they're trying to corrupt that gate so much with this Varanite to try to bust in. Yeah. And so what does Marathi do? Like she she gets she gets the Stormcast involved because they don't want Azir coming in. They're they're aligned there. And then so like what 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 happens? Where do they go? So she convinces Catacross with bribery of some shadow-infused bone to attack oh, yeah. the Spire to distract them. So this is an interesting because it's another, we have this new force in the eight points, and now they're starting to work together against chaos in a, you know, somewhat of a way. But um, as part of the book, they do have a, a map of Varanthax's Maw. That's similar to the one in Catacombs, but it has some different pictures on it, some different locations described. And, and so I think it's really nice that they have the same map, but some additional information that's a little bit more in-depth about what's going on related to the more Age of Sigmar and uh, the Dreadhold. And they talk about the Varanite Mines and, and how it's all being manipulated. And, and they also talk about the Genesis Gate, I think, which is another yes. landmark we can add to our mental map of the eight points. And the Genesis Gate is the gate that goes to the realm of life. 
Um, and that is another sealed gate. So that's a gate that Chaos can't use to invade. And this was this was sealed much later. This was sealed during the Realm Gate Wars after the initial kind of storm of Sigmar's armies came through and they were able to take this gate and seal off the Realm of Light. But where it comes into play here is they actually unseal it briefly. They, with Ariel, uh, the Everqueen's permission, they unseal it briefly to launch the invasion of Paranthrax's Maw. And she unseals it and sends a ton of water through, like a bunch of waterfalls worth of water to wash away all of the defenders um, around the gate on the eight-point side. And then the the forces of Marathi Sigmar uh, march through. Yeah. Uh, it should be mentioned that all of these gates on both sides are almost always super well are almost are always super well defended mm-hmm. to you know because they're so tactically important. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. Then what happens? Josh circling it. Yeah. So Marathi and the daughters of Cain have a huge force storming across the eight points into Varanthax's Maw, with the deception where she and a small strike force are going below to supposedly stop the Varanite from, from being processed. And uh, they send in a, a Stormcast and mix the Daughters of Cain Forest to attack the Dreadhold on the surface. So we won't go into too many spoilers, but uh, Marathi escapes with some Varanite for her for n- nefarious purposes. Almost and all the book She like steals, she like, it was a, it was a, the grand heist. Yeah. yeah. She, she like, takes like all, like four worms three full. worms full. Yeah, she yeah. takes all the worms. Definitely. And, and she leaves the Stormcast and, and some of her daughters of Cain on the surface you know, to fend for themselves. Well, you gotta crack a few eggs, right? <laughs> right, right. For a greater purpose. <laughs> so the, the book continues to talk about a wide variety of new allegiances or, and, and factions for order, which relate to the evolving storyline, which are outside of the eight points. But again, kind of wrapping this into how it affects the eight points, now, now we have evidence of an invading stormcast eternals and daughters of cain forces and you know and the the gate of life uh, the realm the gate to the realm of life is still open and being protected so it introduces a lot of new factions and elements again narratively that you can build warbands for the sylvanath or stormcast eternals daughters of cain and you can use that to again participate in the story as part of the invasion attacking fortifications or delving below to get the varanite from the worms maybe you're fighting a you know a retreating battle or seeking to sabotage the enemy forces again and yeah. i think it adds a lot of really interesting ways to theme your war bands to be part of this ongoing narrative and uh, so you know like the canite shadow stalkers are yeah. obvious tie-in of course yeah or your stormcast that got marooned there you know, right. that part of this invasion force that got cut off and now you're kind of a behind enemies lines of force. So, you know, it's just more opportunities to incorporate the larger Age of Sigmar story arc. Of course, something you do not have to do if you like to keep your kind of and it's kind of my preference even that uh, my kind of Warcry games are, are much smaller and lower stakes and more kind of focused on like individuals. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's cool to think about like kind of the larger uh, context they they inhabit. Uh, yeah. Josh, question for you, though. How does this affect our games and catacombs? And that is a wonderful question. And from the, you know, from the book Catacombs, you know, nothing's going on. And I, I think my view of this is, okay, these giant boar worms were sucking up the biggest deposit of Fahrenheit. 
there's still lots and lots of space within the catacombs that our war bands are fighting and interacting that you know are not necessarily affected at all but um you can certainly build a war band that seems to be part of that force maybe they got lost in the catacombs and they're trying to find their way out or maybe they're still there looking for extra varanite but uh i think in terms of overall catacombs play it doesn't affect it unless you want it to which is always a nice way to go yeah, and there's always battles in the eight points. Like there's always war and fighting, and so there happened to be a big one. But it, I don't think it actually dis- this wasn't a an invasion that changed the status quo. Like unlike uh, the invasion of Catacros, it is it was just kind of a strike force to try to get in and, and destroy the Varanite, which they did do, and then they were almost immediately decimated or quickly decimated by the overwhelming forces of chaos. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, and the, and the story continues to play out in other areas of the realms. So um, those particular types of factions and warbands created from that storyline could also be, I guess, again, incorporated into warbands that you, you perhaps play in other parts of the realms. So I think that's the one thing that we're reaching, especially with the battle tomes coming out, we reach that possibility where you can play in these story arcs anywhere in the realms with warbands that fit the narrative. That's exciting. Definitely. All right. Uh, did you have any other thoughts on the evolving narrative here and, and how it's affecting Warcry? No, that's I think that's where we're at. You know, they, I don't know if that's how evergreen this episode will be since uh, the plot will kind of continue to chug along with the Broken Realm series. Maybe we'll return to the eight points. Maybe we won't. I don't know. Uh, my guys will certainly be there trying to carve out their little piece of glory. Uh, but shout out again to the podcast we were recording tomorrow. Uh, we'll see what order they come out in. Uh, you know, listener, your guess is as good as mine, although probably your guess is better since you will be in the future where things have come out. Um, <laughs> but yeah, li- yeah, we're certainly going to go into the events we discussed just now in more depth, but also the larger context of the entire story, like what happened before, you know, before they got into the appoint and what happens after they leave. Oh, we're just going to you're just going to have to wait and wait and see for that or wait and listen or I don't know. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So with that, we hope you kind of get a feeling for all the different uh, story elements that are now persisting in the A points and how that can challenge you to create a warband that fits the narrative or or add a narrative flair to your campaigns as you play your games. Tying that up. We're going to move now on to our listener questions. And again, we have a nice range of listener questions. And first, we're going to start with one from Legatus Grey Heresy. And his question is, Iron Golem Ogres, how good will they be in tight spaces now? And, you know, I'll let you tackle that one. Um, so I haven't played with them in Catacombs, but that doesn't keep me from having an opinion. I think they will be pretty good. Like, the Scions of the Flame are a pretty on-paper slow warband, similar to how the Iron Golems play. But, like, being punchy and slow is, there's, like, more mitigation for that in Catacombs. With the deploy anywhere when you're a reinforcements with the, you know, five, uh, five-turn games. So I think they'll be good. So if you yeah. got, you know, if you have the Iron Golems and you weren't, maybe you weren't satisfied with how they played above ground... Man, put them in a dungeon. Put them in a forge. That's where they should be anyway. Exactly. Uh, give, give and I think that. I, you know. I think this is Ned, right? This is Ned. I mean, yeah. Ned play. I played his angle. I'm saying they were good. I think he's got two ogres all painted up. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. We're, no. we're yeah. playing the games again. We'll, we'll see. 
<laughs> and they're they're potent too. Those ogres can hit hard. I think yeah. the Iron Golems having such high toughness across the warband are going to be great for pushing people yeah. in that lava. <laughs> pushing, pushing. A, you know, for the amount of, of people that ended up in the lava, I don't think we ever pushed. I think we just like you know incidentally knocked everybody over. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Critical hits and bad bridges. <laughs> yeah. That's enough. It's, you know exactly. Okay, our next series of questions are from Severe Elon. First question is, do you think we'll actually get any information on the new icons on the Catacombs map? Or are they just there to tease a wider world and inspire us? What do you think? Uh, I hope they are alluding to new warbands or new new releases. I don't know. I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, I, I've got the... I suspect they're there as teasers for now, but I, but I think the door is open that there'll be a a new warband, you know, or perhaps they will later tell us like, oh yeah, these are this type of warband, this is their symbol, so then we'll know. But I, I'm hoping, again, optimistically hoping that they are indications of a new warband type that are running around in the catacombs. But they definitely do inspire. The next question. Do you think we'll get more expansions at the same scale of catacombs? What would your dream expansion be? Uh, that's a tough one. What do you think, David? I'll go first. And I want I don't know. <laughs> Mordheim the expansion. I don't want I don't want actual Mordheim. I want whatever, uh Warcry murder streets or something along, you know, where it's like super terrain dense city city expansion so you're like doing more running along rooftops maybe there is an expanded shop system or something something that really puts it in a like livable place and where you feel where it's more like kind of that alley fighting street combat i think yeah putting me on the spot i could maybe think of something more creative uh but that's that's my i think my current dream expansion yeah man i haven't painted this expansion i'm not ready for a new expansion (laughs) Right. Yeah. No. No. I think uh, what you're saying is kind of like a like a gangs of, of hammer hall sort. Of, you know, it could be some yeah. thing where oh, the war bands yeah. or gangs. You know, they're fighting yeah. in the city in the slums or below or above or yeah, that would be kind of cool. Yeah, I don't have any other. You know, I think we'll get. Well, you know, I'm hoping we'll get some additional expansions. Whether they're the same scale as catacombs, I don't know. But uh, I do think there's plenty of terrain opportunities for additional catacombs where we could talk about tombs, you know, like we did before. We talked about tombs, maybe mushroom forests, um, you know, other dungeon type environments, which would easily use the same rule set. You know, so they could either be terrain expansions or, you know, like Pavin alluded to, some sort of city fighting expansion, I think would be a lot of fun. And again, would kick us outside of the eight points a little bit. To, to tie in some other people who don't necessarily want to play in the eight points. Mm-hmm. So um, that, that kind of falls into the next question, which is, will we ever see official Warcry products set in different realms, or will this game be exclusive to the eight points? I'll, I'll just say that I, I think the original intent was for this to only be set in the eight points, and I think it will continue to be that way, especially now that the Age of Sigmar narrative is growing in this area. However, I think the game does not have to be exclusive to the eight points. And I think with the Battle Tome expansions coming out, that opens up the possibility to play anywhere in realms. 
that's my thought. What do you think, Peyton? I think we will. Yes, I will. I think we'll see official Warcry products in different realms. Cool. I think, yeah. I think we will. It'll be like when we least expect it. Um, I think uh, Games Workshop likes to break their patterns, and right now everything's been in the eight point. But there's no reason why it can't be. There's not. There's. There's no. So I think. I think we'll go somewhere else. Cool. Yeah. yeah. So my guess is yes. I mean, <laughs> the, the questions are just like. Ah, uh, what do you guys think? I'm like, we don't know. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah no, just, but no, we, I, love, I love speculating. Speculating is super fun. Yeah, exactly. I think we'll. I think we'll. I think we'll go somewhere else, and I'm excited to go somewhere else. Awesome. Now we'll move into Tomb King Tristan's questions. He asks, with the new lore for the catacombs areas, what new warband ideas do you have? We covered a little bit of that in previous episodes, but um, the Canine Shadowstalkers, I think, are, are grabbing certainly my interest right now. But I do think that um, having read through the Wrath of the Everchosen book again recently, that there are some really unique factions in there. And one that always keeps coming back to mind is this Nurgle faction that, you know, is they're pirates. So they're like running around on the rivers and the eight points. And it would be, I think it'd be a blast to have a warband that's modeled after these Nurgle pirates. And then maybe play, you know, some catacombs or war cry games on moving ships you know fighting against each other you know jumping from one ship to the next climbing up the mast and jumping across or it could be really fun it'd be a blast to try out what do you think Pavin? i i hadn't thought about ship to ship combat in war cry it sounds great i think we should use dungeon rules for when you fall off the boat like you just <laughs> yeah. swept away you're not dead but you're right, like, right. You know, you're gone exactly uh, you're out of the battle uh, yeah <laughs> yeah I don't know if I've had any new Warcry ideas besides the ones I've been I've been racking my brain for like the signs of the flame narrative. So like catacombs really adds a lot into like dungeons and forges and underground areas. So uh, I'm sorry, uh, Tristan, I don't have any uh, I don't have any warband ideas at the moment. That are worth sharing. I'll I'll come up with some new ones hopefully. Uh, but I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm, 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 there's nothing there's nothing in the tank right now. <laughs> and uh, Tristan goes on to ask, how can the story of Broken Realms Marathi inform my games? Which is you know perfect question because we answered that above. You know talking about different ways that the book and the story can help you theme your warband a bit for Warcry. Um, so we'll move on to the last question he had, which was, are there any hints about new warbands in the catacombs leaflets? And again, uh, we have a lot of symbols. We don't necessarily know what they represent, but they do talk a lot about forges and the production. So I'm still thinking that eventually we're going to get some sort of true chaos dwarf warband. Mm-hmm. I don't know, though. What do you think? Yeah, I think we did our... Uh or symbol speculation. Well, we did it a little bit on the last episode. I have yeah. the page open again. I'm really intrigued by this like scorpion looking one symbol. Yeah. That does that doesn't have it a, an Age of Sigmar analog. Like blood axes. Like, oh, I can imagine what that is, but like scorpion mm-hmm. thing. I think what I said before is like I just hope it's something like I want to see something wild and new. Yeah. Um, like new for the setting. So what was I the agree. question again? Yep, yep, are, there any, are there any hints about new warbands? Right. Uh, yeah, I would say they're they're they are super soft hints though. Um, sometimes you see something and you're like, yeah, definitely. Like we're obviously getting ghouls. I don't think there's anything that's been telegraphed very hard. 
no, no. Hopefully, uh, there's that lots of uh, rumor images out there about some sort of vampire pirates. You know, I think a lot of people are speculating. We'll see. We'll I don't see. think there's like a lot of vampire. Pirates. <laughs> there's a lot of people hoping for vampire pirates. This is like when a when a, a news story becomes is fake on Twitter, and then like yes. other news organizations pick it up because it's on Twitter. <laughs> Exactly. Exactly. There, right. there, yeah, there are more miniatures on the way. Some of them may be for Warcry. Exactly. We're hoping. We're hoping. All right. So we're here from Thundercake. His first question is a super wild off the wall one here. What Warcry individual unit, character, or model is best to modify a Jeep Wrangler? And why is it the Plains Runner or Iron Legionnaire? Uh, this is, you know, he's talking about customizing the Wrangler thematically or accessorizing it somehow. We need to start filtering our questions. <laughs> <laughs> this one is just so All funny. Right. It's off the wall. All right. Well, Josh, well, yeah, take a swing at it. What are you, okay. what's the best Jeep Wrangler Warcry miniature? Uh, uh, you know, I th- I'm going to go, since he's, he's, I'm going to stick to the two that he suggested because it'll be easier that way. I'm going to go with Planes Runner. And I think it's because the Planes Runner is going to have like skins. He's going to have the little feather totem hanging off the, the rear view mirror, you know. Maybe I'll be painted up in leather stripes and spots or, you know, whatever. So you know, I definitely think you could go with a very native safari type theme with the, with the planes runner. I'm, I'm really struggling to come up with doing a good <laughs> answer here. No, no, it's fair. I that's don't fair. know. What's the most Mad Max faction? Because uh, that's how I want my Jeep to be. You yeah. could probably say Iron Golems with the forging, or you could go Unmade, depending on what kind of modifications you want. I'm going to go um, Corvus Cabal. Oh, and that's instead good of wheels, you're going to have, like, big sticks, and you're going to, like, your Jeep Wrangler is going to walk on these sticks. Because, uh, <laughs> like, the engine doesn't work anymore because we're in the A-point. And so it's going to be a weird bird Jeep. Uh, that's... I like it. I like it. All right, so his more Warcry specific question is, where do you envision them taking Warcry next? A town, a new realm, on the water, a different storyline? And I, I think we've kind of covered a little bit of that with uh, some of the questions and things we had above. So sure. did you have any other input? or Where do I envision them taking it next? Mm, I mean, I love to speculate. I think, <laughs> I don't know. I think a town is the only thing I can think of is like, Let's go like more civilized or more urban. Yeah. Uh, I think that would make a lot of sense. I mean, I certainly didn't predict us going underground at all. So I don't not I don't feel like I have my hand on the pulse of what Games Workshop wants to do. Mm-hmm. Um, although I'm very I'm very happy this is where they took it. Like the game is super fun and like it's a very uh, narrative rich spot. So I think urban. Yeah. Yeah. Gosh. I'm leaning that direction too, just because we do have Different story elements where, like, Gordrak is moving on Excelsis, other other cities are being attacked. That It would make sense to add some more urban-type feel for warbands to be fighting in the streets, so to speak. I will say one thing about the tight coupling between, or, like, the crossover between Age of Sigmar and Warcry narratively. It's cool, and I like it. I don't want them to be tied all the time. Like, I don't want Warcry to just be following what Age of Sigmar is doing. I want it to be kind of a separate spot doing its own thing. Because there's certainly, the Mortal Realms are big enough that, like, lots of different stuff can go on at the same time. And I kind of hope Warcry kind of keeps its own pace and section of the narrative. 
um, that is separate and unrelated and maybe uncaring of what is happening in Excelsis, for example. Yeah. So yeah. if we went to an urban setting, I wouldn't want to be like, oh, like we're this is where the action is in the greater story. Like this is where Excelsis and Gordrak is invading and Warcry is happening here too. I would, love it, I would love it as an opportunity to explore like a tiny different city, like a new city. Or, you know, dive us deep into a city we already know a lot about. Like, what's a good example? Tempest <laughs> Hammerhall. Hammerhall is great. Or, yeah, Hammerhall's got a lot of bad people in it. Yeah, it could be Hammerhall. Yeah, no, 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 I agree with you. And I think it would just be an opportunity to develop a rule set that could be applied to the Age of Sigmar narrative, but not have to be set there. And I, I like your idea of having it be a city that we don't know much about at all yet. Yeah. That'd be kind of cool. So uh, Darth Alec had some questions. His first question is, how do you guys feel match play in the catacombs works? And I'll kick that off by saying, don't know. We have not tried that yet. However, um, a lot of the deployment zones uh, tend to be symmetrical. And the, the board itself is very symmetrical with 12 different entry points. So I think match play would work quite well on the catacombs board. Although I don't know about the additional boards, I, I haven't. Uh, they seem to be fairly symmetrical, but I have not looked at them in detail. What do you think, Pavin? I have never played an official match play game uh, yet, <laughs> so I'm not. I'm not probably the authority here. My intuition is that Catacombs is more balanced for match play than above ground, mm-hmm. uh, but I don't know. Yeah, that's my feeling too, especially with the reserve rules and the extended uh, game length. His next question is, how necessary is the board pack? And I uh, I don't think it's necessary at all. I think you get a lot of play out of the Catacombs board, but the, the board pack does introduce four new boards to play on, and they tend to have less dangerous pits. So the, while the, the board that we're playing on that comes to the Catacombs box has very large lava areas, so there's a lot more possibility for pulling, pushing, knocking people into the lava that's less true on all the other boards. There are some pits. They tend to have bridges over them, but they're definitely less exposed, so it'll be less of an impact on your games. Do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, I didn't I didn't get the board pack, so I don't consider them, I guess, necessary. I mean, I think if we were doing, like, our weekly game night, I would be more inclined to pick them up for the variation of games, but I imagine you can get lots and lots of games out of these boards with the variable terrain, with the variable missions, that it will feel fresh for a long time. But I'll let you know if it feels stale and it's time to pick up that board pack, but I don't think you need to buy it now. Right. I agree. I agree. And then his last question is, how does Catacombs feel after a few games? And uh, I think we covered that pretty well uh, with sharing our games and our thoughts there, so uh, we could probably pass that along but i definitely it's it's a fun way to play and uh definitely different tactically you have anything to add Pavin? it feels great excellent all right our next question is from neil he asks in general do you have any advice for keeping a game fun when it tilts too hard toward one player due to bad dice or poor twists objectives etc you know i think we've all had games that are similar you know have had happened like that uh, especially in above ground play where Maybe there's, you know, a treasure on the board and the you have the other the opponent gets to go first and has an extremely fast model, grabs the treasure and takes off and you have no chance of winning whatsoever. So I, I think this kind of frames certain circumstances throughout the game that may happen like that. 
Do you have any thoughts, Paven, on what, what kind of advice you might offer? Yeah, I do have some thoughts. Um, I really care about my opponent's game experience. And so, I mean, if this is somebody I'm just playing in the store for the first time and I don't know them that well, I don't feel... I mean, oh boy, I I do... I want I want everybody to have a good time. And if I like I've played enough games of Warcry, I'm usually like one of the more experienced players if I'm playing against somebody. So I usually kind of change my playstyle based on like how experienced I think my opponent is. So this is kind of the 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 axis on which I kind of change my behavior. And if they're newer to the game, I usually try to play more narratively or specifically try not to think too hard about my strategy and just like kind of roll my dice try to have a good time try to get into it kind of like give them advice if they're open to it and just like talk them through the game i'm really not trying to squeeze out a victory here i'm trying to make sure everybody has having a good time so i don't overtly throw a game but i will play suboptimally in order to i don't know not necessarily I don't want to like invalidate somebody's like competitive game experience, but I don't, I certainly don't try as hard if somebody is newer or we're just, they haven't won in a while. Like I just, I, you know, it, it if you lose every time, it's not as fun. And if right. you win every time, it's also not as fun. So if there's, so I do adjust my play style like that, which is like not playing badly, but I don't try to play. I don't try to think about what the optimal way of playing it is. I just kind of like, play more casually and just move my guys around and like move towards the objective, move and attack, just kind of maybe play more narratively that way. Um, mm-hmm. So I'm not, you know, I'm not leveraging all of my experience to try to crush somebody that is maybe already behind technically or just doesn't have as many games behind their belt. I don't know if there were many coherent thoughts in there, but it is a lot. It's a lot. I think I- there's um yeah, I think it's something to always think about. I mean, tabletop games specifically are such a personal thing to do that I think like spending time to think about your opponent is uh, is really great. And I know, yeah, that, that, I think I've, I've I've mumbled through my advice as, as best as I understand it. No, and I, I think those are all great points. Yeah, in this particular case, Neil shared that he's playing with his spouse, which also adds a different lo- element of of uh, you know to, to worry about. But I, I think you. Touched on everything perfectly. I would do the same thing. If you're playing with somebody, it's about a shared game experience. And unless you're playing in a match play in a tournament, you know, obviously that might be something different. But most of our games you know, or events have had more of a narrative focus. And it's about playing well, having a lot of fun. And if your opponent is struggling with dice rolls or, or you know, having some challenges around the rules or other things like that... Um, then, you know, you, you, like you said, play a little bit more narrative focus. Say, okay, well, my model, uh, they would do this, you know, instead of, okay, tactically, I would do this instead. Yeah. But my, you know, my champion doesn't want to be shown up. She's going to go over there and take on this model. So it kind of play more to the story. And uh, I try to have a little bit more discourse with my opponent, too, kind of asking about their war band or their leader, drawing their story in. What would they do? How does this play out? And then kind of make it more, again, about what is their quest. And, oh, yeah, sometimes the quest is not going to be successful, but your warband continues to evolve with glory and artifacts, even though you may lose a game. And that's one of the nice things about Warcry. So I think it's important to, you know, to, to 
wrap the story and the narrative into that so that people are still having fun, even if you're losing the game. One other thing I can throw on there is like another lever to pull. And I will mention, I almost never do this with Josh because Josh is a very strong competitor. Even if I think I'm winning, I might be losing. Uh, so like, uh, so yeah, yeah. And Josh is a very experienced good player. So I always play hard. Yeah. yeah, um, yeah. But one other thing you can do is it might be worth thinking about it is if your war band is matching up really well against your opponent's war band for somebody you're playing with frequently. Switch it up. Like, I remember when I stopped playing my gits against new people and always bringing a different warband because I just felt the gits were so strong. It was hard not to have them just win a lot of games just on the strength of that warband. And so I, I just bring a warband that I was like probably less good with and was less optimized. Um, I brought my Deepkin, which are, I think are still a good warband and still can win games, but it was more straightforward. Like, I could just like throw my thralls in there and just like have a nice smash them up. Yeah. Uh, well, that's something else point. to think about is to change up your warband. If you feel like you're, you're too, you're too good. Mm-hmm. I yeah. Don't know. Change out particular models too. You know, like, yeah. like maybe, maybe you don't need three ogre breachers or something. You know? <laughs> maybe, maybe just one. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. Leave, leave <laughs> seven snakes at home. <laughs> right. 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 Exactly. Yeah, good points. So, um, and our last series of questions are from toast. Uh, his first question, or her first question, I don't know, uh, either way. Are there any victory conditions that you flat out put back in the deck and draw another one? What do you think, Paven? Uh, the ritual, sometimes we put the ritual. Like, <laughs> two times ago when we played, I remember we had just played the ritual, and we drew the ritual, and we put it yeah, back. Yeah, uh, yeah. So I need like a, like three games between playing the ritual again. <laughs> but otherwise, the general the answer is, for Catacombs, I don't think so. But I haven't played that many games, and even the original one. I don't, I, I don't like putting things back in the deck unless it's because we just played it. Because yeah. I think like all of them are fun, and I like asymmetric games. I think that like having those, having more variance, and rather than everything being like completely fifty-fifty, is is cool and fun in narrative. Yeah, I agree with you, and uh, and I, I tend towards that as well. I think the one circumstance where I, I've I've seen some other people put the victory condition back. Is it was um, I can't remember. It was uh, the one where your opponent starts out with only one of their battle groups on the board, and I, I think there was one game between a couple people where they're just like, you know, you're gonna <laughs> their battle group. They had two models, and they had no chance whatsoever. So they said, okay, we're just gonna redraw this and play a different game because they, they didn't oh, think either oh. one was gonna have fun. So I think it's certainly based on circumstances and what you guys are up to. Or oh no, I don't like that at all because like. Yeah. That's the that's why you don't just put like two crappy guys in one battle group, right? Right. Because like I that agree. could happen. Like eat your like ma- you know <laughs> sleep in that bed. Like I remember we had one game where I had to like kill your entire shield, and your yeah. shield had one guy in it. I'm like, well, Josh, like you better protect that guy. Squeaks are coming for him. You almost got away too because it was like a three round game. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. Don't put it back. Don't put it back in the deck. Play it out. Play it out. Like. <laughs> If those two guys escaped, that would be a great story. Like that exactly. would be a really, a really fun game. And uh-huh. if they just get murked immediately, you know, it was probably like a six-minute game, and you can just re-rack. Yeah, you play another one. Yeah, exactly. All right. And uh, and then toast second question: What have been the most dramatic, cinematic, memorable moments in the games you've played so far? You know, I'll just talk from Catacombs' perspective because we've been playing that recently. 
And uh, I've just got to say, generically, across the, the games I've played, the the lava has played a really interesting, surprising influence on the games. And, and that's been very fun and, and memorable, definitely. What do you yeah. think? <laughs> I agree. Yeah. Um, I don't think I mentioned this before, but how much, how stressful being by the edge in catacombs <laughs> is in dungeon games. Right. Like, yes. I feel like a physiological, like, stress response to, like, having important models be on a bridge. Yeah. They go, like, oh, God. Like, just don't, like, and then you start rolling those crits. I'm like, oh, God, he's rolling the crits. <laughs> and then we're, like, rolling those, like, not a one, not a one, not a one. Um, and then, like, you know, you pass one, you're like, Pfft. Then you're like, all right, next attack. And I'm like, oh god. Um, so yeah, I think yeah, it's, it's very memorable. Very like you know, I don't know, our our game's art. I think so, and it's good art if it's evoking emotion. And so I'm feeling my emotions in my games. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I think the twists and the, and the environmental elements in Catacombs has been extremely memorable so far, just because they have a large impact. Yeah, <laughs> I. Yeah, I, I I don't know if we saw this before, but I really like the iteration and the direction that Catacombs takes Warcry. I think it is like improve. I think there are a lot of improvements on the system. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I, I know we talked like uh, dungeon games are like uh, horizontal to above ground games. So it's just like a different game mode. But I think this game mode has learned from like the basic game mode to be more yeah. fun. I agree. I agree. And uh, I definitely think incorporating some of the elements into above ground games would be fun. Like the push off the ledge yeah. sort of. Uh, push off the ledge. Yeah, like uh, there's more environmental damage. They seem to be much more comfortable with that. I like that. I think it makes it more dangerous. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's great. Great. And th- thanks again, everybody, for your questions. It's always nice to hear what people are thinking about, what they're interested in hearing, and sharing our thoughts on those things. Yeah. I really want to do live questions at some point. Although it's harder, we're not a radio show, so I don't know if that makes sense. Maybe we can get a voicemail set up and they could call in their questions. I don't know if anybody would do that, though. Yeah. Or we we could try doing a. It's probably too late to stream. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We could do some kind of live live show once. Yeah, Yeah, we can have Eric come on stage and rap the uh, theme song. There you go. That would be. People would pay to hear that. Well, thanks everybody for listening. I want to plug the Discord. That's where we hang out. TheMortalRealms.com slash Discord. War, shout out to the Warcry channel um, where we talk about Warcry. Uh, Josh, I think you're the most active over there. I post stuff and sometimes uh, will emoji uh, cool stuff. The I want to shout out the Mortal Realms podcast where we will be on the next episode, uh, which either came out before this episode or after this episode. We're really going to get into the weeds. The Broken Realms Marathi book. That is a great book. I loved it. I'm going to talk about how much I loved it during that episode. But really, like, oh, that's that's a great campaign bot product. Way better than Psychic Awakening. Yep. Um, Josh, where can they find you on the Internet? Yep, so you can find me at J.E. Arrington at Twitter, um, but I'm also in the Discord. It'll be sharing things in the hobby section as well as we continue to work on our warbands. How about you, Pavin? Just on the Discord. I don't. I, I have a Twitter, but it's mostly just for, I don't post, uh, so it's not real. Um, but we do have a Dogs of, we do have like Dogs of Warcry Twitter uh, that I do. think you man, and a Dogs of Warcry email that I don't know if I think you check. Do you check the email? I do. All right. Uh, well, yeah, dogs at warcry at gmail.com if you want to email us uh, your questions. 
It's time to put a muzzle on this episode. If it was a good, good dog, support the show with a positive review on iTunes, sharing it with friends, joining us for hobby discussions at themotorrealms.com forward slash discord, or leave a tip at themotorrealms.com forward slash Patreon. More content is available at themotorrealms.com and on Twitter at Dogs of Warcry. Welcome to the Midwest, I'm the Bruce, this is 